Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining. I am so excited as we wrap up this uh, series that I have thoroughly enjoyed teaching, Not Easily Broken. And let me begin by giving a shout out to those of you who are watching uh, from all across, uh, far and near, vis a vis social media. Uh, I particularly want to celebrate those of you who are watching from Boston, Massachusetts, my old stomping ground. Make some noise if you're watching from Boston, Massachusetts. God bless you all. And I certainly want to celebrate those of you who've gathered in our San Jose campus. Thank you so very much. Make some noise in San Jose. I'm so excited that you're part of this particular experience in this teaching. God bless you. Now, can you simply say fearful yet bold? Yeah, fearful yet bold. If somebody is sitting next to you, either in the San Jose campus or in the room where you are or wherever you're watching this from, just turn to them and just, just say fearful yet bold. Go ahead and type it in the chat, those of, those of you who are watching online. Fearful yet bold. All right, we're going to unpack that as we move forward. God bless this teaching. Make it transformative. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, we've been looking at two passages of Scripture for the whole series. So let's end by looking at these two passages of Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, and skipping to verse 12. Here's what the writer says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, well, that person is in real trouble. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is, let's say it together, not easily broken. And then the words of Jesus, literally hours before his crucifixion, and ultimate resurrection. Here's what he says to that believing community. This is my commandment, Jesus says. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for friends. You know what? You are my friends if you do what I command. Hmm. Fearful, yet bold. Do you know That throughout the Bible, the phrase, do not be afraid, appears at least 365 times. Almost uh, one occurrence per each day of the year, for sure. Now, interestingly enough, when we read those words in Scripture, typically, here's how we translate or interpret those words. We think they mean, shut down the emotion of fear in one's life. I want to suggest to you that that's not what it means. Essentially, what it means is this. Fearful, yet bold. In short, what the scriptures are teaching us is that it is okay for us to acknowledge the emotions of fear. But having acknowledged them, we need to be bold. Can you say bold? Bold, courageous, as oftentimes we find that word in scripture. And we move forward and we confront the fears. We rise above the fears. We press our way through the fears. We refuse to allow Our fears to keep us from what God has for us. Fearful, yet bold. I remember uh, the second date, formal date, that Rhonda and I had many years ago was in church. And I can't remember (laughs) what the preacher preached, nor what the songs were that we were singing, because most of the time I was trying to figure out how to put my arm around her. (laughs) scratching my head, you know, all that stuff. And finally, 
a whispering came, just ask her. I was scared to death. But ultimately, I leaned over and I said, would you mind if I put my arm around you? She looked at me and smiled, and she said, I would be honored. And oh, what a hallelujah moment. <laughs> and 37 years, I'm still putting my arms around her. Praise be to God. You see, I pressed through my fear and was blessed with what God had for me. And that's what God wants for you and for all of us. Now, why am I talking about fear? Well, I'm talking about fear, really, in this last teaching of this series for two reasons. First, as we move through the first quarter of 2024, here's the deal. There are tons and tons of reasons for us to be frightened. And if you don't like the word frightened, maybe your word is filled with anxiety. Last week, I told you guys last weekend about uh, the sad uh, occasion of Mr. Dijon Milosevic, the assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors, 46 years old, was having dinner with the team and the organization, suddenly had a heart attack. 24 hours later, less than 24 hours later, he was gone. This past Wednesday night, just before the Warriors played their first game, they canceled two games. They were in such deep grief. And before they played their first game, they had a beautiful tribute. And I cried through the whole tribute. I cried partly because it's just so sad. His wife, his son, his daughter, I was just thinking about one day they had their 46-year-old, very healthy dad and husband. The next day he's gone. Just can't imagine it. The second thing that I was thinking about was that that could be me any day. That could be a member of my family. And the fact of the matter is we don't talk about it a lot, but we see all these different losses uh, around us. And by the way, next weekend uh, I'm going to teach a message about grief and what to do in the midst of it and what not to do because all of us are surrounded by people who are dealing with grief and loss. And there's some things we ought to do to be supportive, and there's some things that we ought not to do. So make sure you're tuning in, that you're with us for next, next week. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we carry this low-grade anxiety, don't we? That this could be me. This could happen to someone that I love. Fear. And it's okay to be honest about that. But here's the insight. The second reason why I'm talking about fear today, I'm rolling into it. You know, for the last several weeks, I've been saying this point. One of the ways in which God is with us is through community, faith-filled community, and through relationships. This is part of what Ecclesiastes is hinting at, right? When the writer says, listen, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And by the way, if one falls, the other one can reach out and help. That's what it looks like to have uh, 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 other people in your life. God works through other people that way. And then I love how this text ends. Look at what it says. Three are even better than two. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now listen, here's the deal. Here's the insight. Usually we preachers, we use this passage often when we're uh, presiding over a wedding ceremony. Here's part of the point that we're making as it relates to a couple, but this is true in general. Here's what I think is the insight of the text. You plus another plus God is a triple braided cord. You're not easily broken. Or think about it in this sense, in terms of the church. You maybe plus your small group plus God. Not easily broken. 
Yeah, you will be knocked down, but not easily broken, you see. Uh, you might say it this way. A faith-filled we is much stronger than a faith-filled me. You see, because at some point, we're all going to have our Job season where life drops us into some circumstances that is, it doesn't matter how strong our faith is, we will need to be surrounded by some folk who can carry us. Who can carry us. Like Mr. Milotovic's family, I'm sure. They've got to be surrounded by people who can carry them. This is part of what Jesus is saying in John 15. He is inaugurating a community, simply called the church, beginning with his disciples. And he's saying to them, I'm about to give you a secret that's going to help you to work through the prosecution and my crucifixion and all the tough times in life. But it's also going to help you not just work through it and survive it and thrive in it, but be a part of my plan to change the world. And here's the secret. This is my commandment, guys. I want you to love each other inside of this faith-filled community called the church. Now, if you've been watching and listening over the last several weeks, I've said to you that I believe that God is calling many of you who are watching or engaging in San Jose to lean in and become, go deep in your relationship, build relationships inside of NBCC. I've said to you that NBCC is God's resource for you. Now, there may be some that's listening that for which this is not the case, and if that's not the case, then I'm, saying, I'm suggesting that you find that community that is God's resource for you. But I'm focusing in today, as we wrap this up, on NBCC. I've been saying to you guys, listen, lean in and go deep inside of NBCC. Don't just pop in and pop out. Come on, just don't come by and get a good worship uh, experience on uh, in San Jose and then pop out. No, 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 no. In order to survive and thrive and be a part of God's transformative work in 2024, which is going to be a challenging year no matter how you look at it, I said to you, be a friend outside of the church, but be a friend inside of NBCC. I've said to you, join a small group. We start a small group, form an NBCC group. And I want to acknowledge now that as I challenge you to do that, I just want to say, I know it's scary. It's frightening. You know, I think often many years ago when NBCC first got started, one of the uh, members of NBCC, one of our volunteers, shared with me a remarkable story. They had been working on encouraging this lady to come to church, and she had been out of church maybe 10, 15 years. She's an elderly lady. Finally, on this particular Sunday, she comes to church and uh, they're with her, and she comes into the, the lobby area, and they're getting ready to go into the sanctuary, and they get ready to open the door, and she's, she gets ready to walk across the threshold, and she stops. And this elder lady, she's literally trembling. She's scared to death. I don't know, maybe it was a trauma that took place in some church context in her past, as is often the case for so many of us. I don't know, but she was scared to death. Maybe it's just the fact that she had a horrific uh, view of God. God as this angry judge. I don't know. But she was scared to death. And in that context, the friend who was with her said, come on, I'm going to walk with you. And she pushed past her fear. Went in, settled in. And ultimately, NBCC became her church home. And because she pushed past her fear, she found a jewel, 
that tremendously blessed her life. This is what God wants for you. If you're watching this, if you're engaging with this. Listen, one of the, uh, one of the things that's most beautiful about this wonderful congregation called NBCC is our radical diversity. One of the things that's most frightening about this wonderful congregation that we call NBCC is our radical diversity. <laughs> Listen, when you think about who it is that sits in the chairs in our sanctuary in San Jose and Ridwood City or that works, uh, participates in small groups or serve on teams. Listen, we're young and we're old. We represent every skin color on the spectrum uh, there are bi and multiracial individuals who hear people who are wealthy and high resource and people who are just living from paycheck to paycheck, all a part of the NBCC community, and some who don't have a paycheck, just trying to figure out how to make it. There are those who have beautiful homes, and there are others who have no place to call home, but they're here at NBCC. There are those who've been connected to the church for decades. And there are others who are like the lady I just told you about who are returning to the church for the very first time after decades. And then there are some of you, this is your first experience of church, and you're kind of frightened. You're like, man, what I see on TV, what I hear, what I, I'm not sure. Is it safe? That's what you're asking. Is it safe? You know, we have people who are part of him is just people of different sexual orientation and gender identification. We have folk who are part of NBCC, first, second, third generation immigrants, recent immigrants. We have people who politically are on the far right and on the far left and everything in between and also theologically. Come on now. And in Ridgewood City, we've got a Christian campus housed in a conservative Jewish synagogue. Can somebody shout diversity? Yes, we are radically diverse, and it is incredibly beautiful, and it is incredibly frightening, isn't it? Because I promise you, whoever you are, you're going to find somebody here just like you, who thinks like you, who believes like you, and whoever you are, you're going to find somebody here who's radically different from you. It's awesome, and it's scary. And yet, God's word to you is simply fearful. Okay, but yet bold. He's still calling you to take a risk. And I just want to promise you, like the lady discovered who walked into the sanctuary, the risk will be well worth it. Now, as we think about taking a risk, I should say this, one of the ways that God has assembled all these different types of people here is because our chief value is this. Everybody matters to God, and so everybody, can you say everybody? Everybody matters to us. Now, here is how God uses this radical diversity in NBCC, and here's what he wants to do for you. And it's got a practical application uh, beyond the church. Here it is. Here, here's how God uses it. God uses radical diversity to teach us to love radically. And what does it mean to love radically? Well, one of the things it means to love radically is to love without conditions. And here's the deal. As we push through this new election season that is about to come up with all of the vitriol and toxicity and the polarization, and as we work through a culture that is rapidly transforming, the only way that you're going to hold your house together, that you're going to hold your extended family together, the only way that we're going to hold the community together is to learn how to love radically without condition. If we don't learn to do that, the United States is going to be, will become the divided states and a house divided 
cannot stand. So, in order to do that, here at NBCC, on our journey together, we have to unlearn some stuff and we have to relearn some stuff. Unlearn and relearn. Look at the words of Jesus. Let's go back and revisit. Jesus says, listen, (laughs) uh, I want you to love one another. Here it is. In the same way that I have loved you radically. As illustrated by the next statement, there's no greater love than this, than one who will lay down his life for his friends. And I'm about to lay down my life for you. And you're included in that you if you're willing to love radically the same way. Now, where do I learn to do that? I've got to be in a community where I can practice loving radically. That's NBCC. And so you wonder, well, how, how does this church work? What makes this work? Well, first of all, <clears throat> notice Jesus says, in the same way I. Jesus becomes the number one consideration in what he says. Here's how we talk about it here. At NBCC, we are a Jesus first community. What does that mean? That means, number one, that Jesus is our first model. For that person who says, well, you know, I, I've got one of my parents' impatience. I've got, my, I got anger from another parent. Jesus said, well, that's fine. But when you make him the first person that you model your life after, come on. He will build within us a spirit that enables us to know that love is kind. Love is patient. You can become different. Secondly, Jesus is our highest commitment. He's above all. You know, in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says this. If you're not willing to give up everything for me, you're not ready to be my disciple. And what he means is this. You've got to put me in the number one spot in your life. I'm higher than your boyfriend. I'm higher than your parent. I'm higher than your best friend. I'm higher than anybody who's paying you money. You've got to make me number one in order for the transformation to happen in your life. And then thirdly, to be a Jesus first community here, these are the three things we agree on. That, that he, Jesus, is our only Savior. Now let me just drill down real quickly on this. I love this point. Listen, listen. I, believe, I think there's a place for politics and politics are, is important. But can I just tell you, politics is not going to save you. I believe in education. I think education is important, but it's not going to save us. Money is important. It makes life better in a lot of different ways. Money will not save us. You know, some of my African-American friends who are pastor, they would advocate that the hope of America is in the Democratic Party. And they're urging all their congregants to vote Democratic. I reject that. Some of my white evangelical pastor friends, you know what? They think that the hope of America is in the Republican Party, and they're, they're advocating all of their folk. Vote Republican. I'm going to reject that. That's not what we do here at NBCC. See, at the end of the day, we will constantly remind you there is but one Savior, and his name is Jesus. That is the hope, not just for America, but for the world. Jesus at work living in us. And somebody said, wow. So the call for you today is fear, yes, fearful, yes, let me own it, but be bold. Listen, Jesus says, there's no greater love than this, than one who will lay down his life for his friends. I've called you friends, one Savior, 
One of my favorite stories, we hustle towards that conclusion. One of my favorite stories is in the Gospel of Mark. Listen to it. Let's read it together. Let me watch as I read it. Here it is. There is no greater. <clears throat> Later, Levi, which is the Jewish name for Matthew, who was a tax collector before he met Jesus. Listen to this. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And then watch the parenthesis here. There were many people of this kind, meaning tax collectors, Jewish people who oppressed their own folk for the sake of money working for Rome. Watch this. And other disreputable sinners, which included drunkards and prostitutes, and you can just name the list. Put anybody that you don't like and put them in the disreputable sinners. <laughs> Many of this kind was among Jesus' followers. Now, this text teaches us a couple of things. The first thing the text teaches us is another lesson that we have to unlearn. Here's the thing we have to unlearn. Some of us believe that the church is supposed to be a perfect place and that people who follow Jesus are supposed to be perfect. Can you say unlearn? We see in this text that, that the folk who gather around Jesus are far from perfect. The second thing that I see in this text that I just want to celebrate is that there's something incredibly irresistible about Jesus. Here he is, man. May I paint the picture for you just a few moments? Levi, Matthew throws a party, man. He starts to follow Jesus, and Jesus, he's, he's walking away from his, his former life, but he's still got all his friends. He's biting them over. He says, there's something about this Jesus you got to know. And, man, he's really throwing a dinner party. You can imagine this. Come on, the music is popping. Come on. The liquor is flowing. The atmosphere's got smoke in it. There's profanity popping all over the place. Come on. But Jesus is sitting there. And then there's a crowd that's slowly gathering around Jesus because there's something unique. And I might pause here to point out what's special about Jesus that we hope to replicate in our own lives here at NBCC. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, was the cleaner person who character was never overtaken by the culture. His ethics was never seduced by the environment. And I'm not sure that he was the life of the party, but I guarantee you he was the light of the party. As the folk gathered around him, there was something irresistible. Wow. Tax collectors, notorious sinners, Pharisees. This brings us to the next insight, something that Jesus practiced, that we seek to practice here. It requires us to unlearn something and learn something. Here's what he practiced. Disagree and radically love. Do you know that as Jesus talked with those folk around, that he did not agree with those tax collectors oppressing their people? But he loved them. He did not endorse the prostitutes who perhaps was in the room selling their body, but he loved them, notorious sinners. He did not endorse the Pharisees' hypocritical uh, judgment of everybody else in the room. Come on now. But he loved them. You see, in today's culture, here's what we've got to unlearn. If you're on the left politically, come on now. If people don't agree oftentimes with the left's values and vision, the lesson is cancel them out. Don't write write their books. Don't get them off your Facebook. Don't engage. That's not the Jesus way. 
<laughs> if you're on the right, uh, the right doesn't use the word cancel. They use the word expel and excommunicate, right? That if you don't line up with their values and their theological perspectives. So, so, so on the far right, they kicked out Saddleback and Rick Warren out of the Southern Baptist Church. They expelled them because Rick Warren believed in ordaining women. They didn't. Wow. That's not Jesus' way. So here's the wonderful thing. Here at NBCC, we create space. We agree on the Jesus first, but we create space. You know, what I mean? He's the first model. He's the highest commitment. He's the only Savior. He's Lord. And we create space, therefore, for us to disagree on a whole lot of other things. So, <laughs> listen, in that room around Jesus, there were folk who disagreed on a whole lot of things. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the Zealot, opposite ends. And yet, they were in the room with Jesus. We create space. You know, you don't have to agree with everything the pastor says. You know, I've said this before. You don't have to agree with everything I say to be blessed by most of what I say. But here at NBCC, what we do call into account is that disagree and yet radically love. Love without condition. You know the condition? The condition is you don't have to model and mirror everything I think for me to love you. Wow. And then the second thing that he shows us in this text that we try to live out here at NBCC, he connects with the stories in the room. And here at NBCC, I challenge us, we try to learn how to connect not with each other's politics, how to connect not even necessarily with each other's theological position consistently always, but how to make sure we first and foremost connect with each other's stories. Stories. You've got to imagine Jesus sitting in that room and the people around him, they're telling this story. The prostitute is talking about how, at the, at, at, you know, how she was, was abused and taken advantage of and kicked out and forced to have to become a prostitute because of the context of a culture. Maybe the, 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 one of the Jewish tax collectors is talking about how the Roman government came in and crushed his home and his family. He just figured, look, Come on now, I just want to join them. I'm not going to let them take advantage of me like this. I don't know, but, but they're telling stories, y'all. And Jesus is, is engaging with them in their stories. He's, you know, here's what I want to teach us to do. It's not just to hear the other person's story, but to sit in their stories. And, 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 and there's something ir irresistible about Jesus because he was sitting in their stories. And then when it came his time, can you imagine? He's also telling his story. Come on now. And they find themselves sitting in Jesus' story. Come on. That, that how he grew up in Nazareth, but, 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 but he didn't start out in Nazareth. He started out in eternity. Come on now. Mary was his mom and Joseph was his adopted daddy. Come on. He left glory to come looking for sinners like in the room. Come on. And they found themselves sitting in his story. Whew. Essentially, when we come to be a part of a church here at NBCC, uh, what you're doing is you're finding ways to sit in Jesus' story. Let me wrap this up, the final passage here. Look at this. It's really exciting. I, I hope you hear the invitation to lean in. I hope you hear the invitation. It's a risk, but it's worth taking the risk. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked him, his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Which brings us to the, 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 the final insight that Jesus practiced grace and truth. 
Can you say grace and truth? Yes. Grace is this overwhelming experience of love that comes without condition. Truth is that, that place of integrity that helps us to live out within our character. Our next series is going to be Character Matters. I hope you, you uh, hang out for, with us for that uh, because it matters. And here's what, here's what we see about Jesus. He has so much grace that he could never be a Pharisee. <laughs> and he has so much truth, y'all, come on now, that he could never be a notorious sinner. He, 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 just, he, he, he engages with everybody from who and where he is being transformative. Listen. Jesus always led with grace. Do you remember the woman who was caught in adultery, threw in front of him? You remember what happened? First of all, he realized that the folk who threw her was just trying to use her because the text says they were trying to trap him. Secondly, he realized the inequity and the injustice of the moment. Watch it. Because the law says you're supposed to bring the man, but they only brought the woman. Thirdly, he realized the hypocrisy of the moment because he's, we started writing on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but I just think he started writing names and dates and places. And the text says they started walking away from the oldest to the youngest. And then he looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And, 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 and they're not there. You remember he said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And he says, there's nobody here. Well, Jesus could have judged her, but he says, neither do I. Then he said, Go and sin no more. First, this overwhelming love he pours into our life. And then out of that, he says, go sin no more. Do you remember the fella who had been uh, at the pool lame for 38 years? Jesus comes and heals him miraculously. And then the text says he finds him a few days later. And he says to the guy, stop your sinning. If you keep sinning, something worse is going to happen to you. But, but that's only after this overwhelming miracle outpouring of unconditional love. A radical love that had no conditions worse. You see, full of grace. We hope to replicate that here at Jesus, at, at, at NBCC, and we invite us into that experience. Do you want to know what radical love looks like as I wrap this up? Ah, it's, it's Jesus moves on from that room after saying, no greater love than this, than one who will lay down his life for his friend. And we find him on Calvary's cross, that Roman cross where criminals are executed, and yet he's innocent, and he's been whipped all night long. They, they, they put spikes in his hand. He's bled out almost, and he's on the cross, and he looks down and the text says he cries out father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing and the soldiers the text says gambled and laughed and gambled over his clothes by throwing dice oh here's where I want to wrap it up guys and yet Jesus died for them Jesus poured out his blood as an atoning offering do you know who Jesus died for. Jesus died for the folk who whipped him all night long. Jesus died for the folk who drove spikes in his hand. Jesus died for the folk who made fun of him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Laughing, laughing. Jesus died for the soldiers gambling over his clothes. Jesus died for the Muslim, the Jew, the Buddhist, Unitarian. Unitarian. Jesus died for the agnostic and the atheist. You know who he died for? Jesus died for the black and the white 
white and the Asian and Latinx and Pacific Islander. Uh, let me put it this way. Jesus died for the red and the yellow and the black and the brown and the white because we're all precious in God's sight. Jesus died for the gay and the straight and the trans and the bi and others. Jesus died for the rich and the poor and the immigrant and the native born. Jesus died for the Pharisees and the notorious sinners. Jesus died for you and Jesus died for me. And whenever anybody asks what kind of church is NBCC called to be, we're called to be a church that creates a space of love for everybody that Jesus died for. But he didn't just die. He got up with all authority of heaven and earth in his hands. And that is the one who is Lord and Savior, and that is the one who we follow, and that is the one who we replicate his radical capacity to love. Come join us. God bless you.